Welcome to Killer Women with your host, best-selling author, Danielle Girard. And now, Danielle's next killer woman. Hello, and welcome to Killer Women Podcast, a proud member of the Authors on the Air Global Network with more than 4 million listeners. I am your host, suspense author Danielle Girard, and my guest today is Emily Schultz. Emily is the author of Sleeping with Friends and the forthcoming Brooklyn Kills Me, both from Thomas and Mercer. She is the co-founder of Joyland Magazine, and her latest, her last novel, Little Threats, was published by Putnam and was named an Apple Books Best of 2020 pick. Her novel, The Blondes, released in the U.S. with St. Martin's Press and Picador, in France with Editions Asphalt, that's my fake French accent right there, and in Canada with Doubleday. It was named a Best Book of 2015 by NPR and Kirkus. The Blondes was produced as a scripted podcast starring M Madeline Zima from Twin Peaks and created by Schultz and Brian J. Davis. Translated into French, German, and Spanish, it has over 1 million listeners worldwide. Her writing has appeared in Elle, Slate, Evergreen Review, Vice, Today's Parent, Has Lit, The Hopkins Review, and Prairie Schooner. She lives in Brooklyn, where she is a producer with the indie media company Heroic Collective. Welcome, Emily. Hi, Danielle. So great to be here. It's so great to be here. You've been busy. You've been everywhere. Um, I love that. <laughs> so I, first of all, I want everyone to know that I planned my outfit to match with Sleeping With Friends. And um, Emily is going to tell us a little bit about this super fun, fast read. Yeah, so this started because I wanted to write about a group of friends and how they might uh, navigate their friendships as they get older. And so I had this idea for a woman who's been in a coma and she's lost her memories and her friends decide to throw her a rem remembering party. She's mostly remembering her life uh, through films. And so she keeps confusing her friends for characters in movies. And as they get together for this long weekend where they're going to help her, they start to realize that maybe her coma was the result, not of an accident, but of a crime. And then they have to solve the crime together. I love it. And I love the perspective of films. I, I don't know if you've done this. I, this is my first Emily Schultz book, um, but I, I don't know if you've done this in the past, but it was fun because of course they're movies that we all know and we get to sort of like hear the, the scene of the movie and be like, that sounds sort of familiar. And then one of her friends is like, I think you're remembering a scene from this movie. Yeah. Have no, you done I that before? No. I haven't really written about film before, but I love film. Uh, like I watch a movie almost every day and sometimes I fall asleep during a movie every day and then I start to like Mia in the novel, I sometimes get confused as to whether I dreamed it or whether it was real. That is so funny. Well, it's clear that you know your movies, and that is that's really fun. So tell us the characters. Um, Mia is obviously the one who is um, in a coma, waking up from a coma, and then we tell us about the others because it's a fun group of characters too. Yeah. So the book centers around uh, a trio of women. Mia, who's sort of at the center, she's kind of always been, you know, the one that brings them all together. And then there's Agnes, who's you know uh, her best friend going back to college. She works as a book editor. And uh, she's, you know, she's the loyal one in the group um, who knows everything about everybody. Um, and then there's Zoe. And Zoe is always um, also trying to dominate the room like Mia. And Zoe also goes all the way back to college. And she works as like a YouTuber making a show about films and their inconsistencies with her partner, Ethan. 
And of course, Ethan is now Zoe's partner, but at one point he may have been Mia's partner. He may not have been, he might've just been her friend. There are all these things, these tangled relationships that you have to find out through the course of the novel. And it's supposed to be a girl's weekend, but everybody keeps inviting themselves along. So Mia's partner, Martin, is going to show up. They are all based in New York, but they're out at the country house in Connecticut uh, that Martin owns. And eventually there'll be more and more characters that join them. There's Mia's sister who's flown in from Chicago. And so by the end of it, it's like, well, who did it? And we have like right. a whole cast of characters and they're competing with one another and they're competing for Mia's attention. And they're trying to tell Mia who she is because she doesn't remember. That is, I know. And it is so fun. And it is like, you've got, it's a little bit of a locked room situation, but you have caterers arrive. So it's not exactly locked room, but uh, they're solving some, yeah, they're solving some crimes for sure. Um, and it's fun. I mean, it does remind you that, you know, when you're in college, that's sort of how it starts, right? You end up, you date people briefly, briefly that become your friends and then they date your friends. And then, you know, it's a, it's like a funny mishmash of lives. And um and I thought, I mean, and it's so, first of all, I love amnesia. Like, I think amnesia is just the most fun thing to play with, right? Because you just get to, you know, it's such a wonderful device for for mystery and suspense. And, um, you know, I think it's I think it's so fun to play with. And you do a great job. It doesn't feel like, you know, it doesn't feel like an overused trope. It's, it's super, super fun. And everybody in the book has something to hide, which I also think is fun, right? There's nobody who's exactly innocent if you will. No. So. And that's just, that's just it. I, I like to do flawed characters. I don't want people to be perfect. These characters, they get a little bit, you know, uh, acidic with one another because they can, because yeah. they've known each other a long time. And I also wanted to look at, you know, why we keep the friendships we keep, because when we're young, we bond with people very easily. And then as we get older, it's like, okay, but who's actually going to be there for you and who stays in your life? And right. sometimes the people that came into your life, they came in for very superficial reasons. You know, the fact that you were the same age or you were studying the same subject in school, the fact that maybe you both had blue hair at one point. You right, know? <laughs> right, right. Or that you just were assigned the same dorm floor, right? I mean, it's really, really random. It um, is very random. Yeah. So you said you wanted to write, you know, um, about a woman who's sort of rediscovering herself or, you know, after having lost her memory. How do you know it? Like, how do you sort of plan a book? Is it sort of like a, I got an idea and then just hang on for the ride or, you know, yeah. It, it is a little bit like that. Yeah. It's a bit in, like, I, I think that I kind of have a, like an instinctual writing style. So I'll have this idea and a lot of times with my book, there will be some kind of concept. So for instance, with my with my first novel that published in the US, The Blondes, um, that one had this crazy concept of a virus that only affects blonde women and acts kind of like a rabies and makes them rage out. And you know, and then I've got to hang a I story. I can't wait off for that. that one. I gotta go, I gotta go find that one now. <laughs> yeah. And with That's this great. one, like tying it to the film and her memories of film was a way for me to get into the material, you mm -hmm. know. And then from there I'm gonna come up with like an arc and the plot. And sometimes I don't exactly know. And then it just means I have to do a lot of rewriting. <laughs> I'm sure you can. Yeah. Relate. Oh, yeah. I'm in the middle. I've been procrastinating my rewrite all morning being like, oh, yeah, what else can I do? I, I've already cleaned the kitchen. So, yes, I do know exactly what that is like. And it sounds like your life in general is really, you know, you are creative. I mean, you're very media, you know, based. Tell us a little bit about what you do during the day and how it sort of relates, if it relates to your you're writing or not really no it does I mean I wear a lot of hats I mean I started working in uh book publishing and magazine publishing when I was about 24 and I still do that I edit a lot of other people's work 
Yeah. So I'm basically working with words all day long. And then my partner and I have also made podcasts together and written scripts for television and film. Uh, right now he's working on a, a different film and I'm sort of peripherally involved in that in terms of just consulting and, you know, bringing in um, any coordination that needs to happen. Um, so I do a lot of this, a lot of that. Yeah. But I mean, I'm always interested in stories. So, I mean, I right. think this is actually like working in publishing for a while. I ran a literary magazine called Joyland, uh, which is what brought us from Canada. We were originally based in Canada, brought us from Canada to New York City. Um, and we grew that magazine up and then we passed the torch to another editor who's taken it over. But so, I mean, I've always been working with story in some capacity, whether it's fiction, whether it's nonfiction, whether it's literary, yeah. whether it's mystery, <laughs> yeah, whether it's on film, whether it's on podcast, it's, it has been my life. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you love it. I mean, so what inspired you to make a sort of a, the live podcast of the book? That's kind of an interesting concept. And I have, I mean, I've heard of an audible book, but I mean, how did you do that? Was it like an, I mean, did you record, you recorded it, obviously. No. We recorded it, but we, we wrote a script as if it were, you know, being acted out and we hired yep. actors to act it out. And, you know, we did sound design. We hired musicians to do the music for it. So there's a soundtrack for it. Um, and I mean, I guess we're lucky because, um, you know, my partner also works in the arts and he's kind of a jack of all trades. He's a visual artist. He also has done sound design before. He worked for a record label in the past. Um, so we kind of, we just put it all together and launched it. And we did that just before the pandemic. Um, what happened was I realized I had the rights to it, you know, yeah. podcast rights are something that a lot of people don't, uh, want or take. And we thought this is an interesting way to tell stories yeah. you know, through, through audio. So it's like a dramatic acted out version. That's so fun. What a an creative idea. And how is that working with your partner? I would think sometimes that would be challenging. <laughs> Sometimes it is challenging. Yeah. <laughs> no, now he's going to listen to this, so we won't we won't say anything bad about him. But I do imagine that in moments that's a, that's a lot. And to a creative mind, so do you distinguish between you know the time you're writing your books and your day job? Like I feel like that's a you know my day jobs have always been very you know analytical, so it was an easy transition. But if you're creative all the time, how does the book creativity feel different? Uh, so it's different, I think, because when I'm doing a book, I have to dedicate longer hours to it, as you know. And so that does require some scheduling. Um, so like right now, I'm I'm talking to you from my office. It's a shared office with a friend of mine. Um, and typically what I'll do is I'll try to write during the morning and then do my editing work in the afternoon. And that works out well because one of the book companies that I edit for is on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. So if I can do my writing before noon, then it means I'm starting my editing work at 9 a.m. their time, right? Right. Which is great. Right. So, but at the same time, though, I am really like a compulsive writer. So I have to make sure that I don't fall into it and just go for like 12 or 14 hours. Like once oh I'm writing, I have no problem staying in, except for that I have all these other things demanding my attention, like work emails or my son. And right. A child. Turns out a child, a child. is very demanding. How yeah, old is your son? So my son is 12, but he's on the autism spectrum Okay, and he's wonderful. I just had a school meeting and he's doing very well. So good. That's wonderful. But yeah, they just take a lot of, you know, time and energy and attention. You can't go 12 or 14 hours without checking that they have had food or <laughs> exactly. That's funny. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. So I mean, um, oh, sorry, go oh, ahead. Oh, go ahead. That's one of the things that, that you learn, like as you get older or you become a more confident writer is just that you can always go back in, even if there's an interruption, you know, it's not. The, the juices won't stop. 
No, no. And sometimes I think there's something about leaving it when you're kind of in the middle of it, which sort of makes it easier to go back to. Because if you can keep that thread, you're like, oh, I know where I am. I know exactly what comes next. Versus somebody said this to me on an interview. And of course, I'm not going to remember who it was, but that they always leave the writing for the day before they finish a chapter. Because if they are in the middle of something, then it's easier to keep going than if you're at the end of a chapter, then you're inevitably starting with a blank page, which I think is actually quite clever. I unfortunately don't do that. I don't know why I'm compulsive about finishing the chapter if I can, you know, or at least being like, I, blah, blah, blah happens. I, th I think so too. I try to as well, but I know once or twice I've come back to my computer and flipped up the screen and it's been mid-sentence and I'll be yeah. like, what was I going to say? Exactly. <laughs> exactly what's happening. Now tell us, I know you've already sold the second book. Is it related? Yes, it will be a sequel. So it will okay. have continuing characters. Oh my God, that's so fun. Well, it's so, I mean, I have to say, I, um, I mean, I love, me, it's, I love, but I really loved Agnes. There's something just so like, I don't know. She's so smart, but you know, everybody's a little bit dumps on her, which I don't know why I kind of always love the character where everyone's a little hard on her and she's like, just, you know, soldiering on through all the BS. So I really enjoyed her. So I'm assuming she's in the next book. Agnes will be in the next book. Yes. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, just it. I don't know how much I can say because it's like, well, I don't want to give away. <laughs> you can't give it away, but you can tell us that she's going to be in the next book. I think that's fair. Now, and, and it's Thomas and Mercer, they're pretty fast. So is that book already written? So it's written and I'm doing rewrites now. And so that is hard because I'm promoting, but I'm also supposed to be doing rewrites. I know. I know. <laughs> it's a fast track when you're trying to publish a book a year, right? Yeah, but let's just say I'm really glad to hear you like Agnes, because if you didn't, then I'd be like, what am I doing with that next book? No, no, I love that. I did love Agnes. I mean, I think I have to imagine that most of us will love Agnes. So, and I thought the setting was really fun too. I mean, there's this, this sort of idea that there's a main house and then there's this back house where some things happen and they find some things and there's just a lot. It's like a, it's sort of constant, like, oh, you think you're going that way, but you know, you're not, which is a really fun type of read. And I think this time of year, especially right because we're all like up to our eyeballs and all the stuff we're supposed to be doing but we'd much rather be reading so it's a perfect time um for you know a little a little distraction book so um you can't i don't want to ask more about that new book i do want to but i'm not going to i'm going to refrain so tell us about like your publishing history it sounds like you your first book was out in 2012 is that right did i miss that it's a little complicated because I started my career in Canada. So I had several oh. books that published there that didn't publish in the U.S. Yes. Uh, so my first book really to come out in both countries was The Blondes. And that came, okay. out, in two, it came out in 2012 in Canada and 2015 in the U.S. I know. Isn't that funny? That I know. That's the weirdest thing. Yeah. And in, okay. in, in France, I think it was 2014 or 2015. Yeah. Um, and so The Blondes was like my first really big book. And um, yeah. yeah. And that was exciting because I, I toured it and did a lot of things for that. And I also hadn't been living in New York City that long at the time. I moved to New York in uh, first day of 2011, I think it was. Okay. okay. So at that time, I was still new to right. the United States and new to New York. And right. yeah, it was very exciting. It is exciting. And then um, during the pandemic, I brought out another novel called Little Threats, which came out with okay. Putnam. Yeah. And that was, so The Blondes was kind of lit thriller. And then yeah. uh, Little Threats was also lit thriller, but it was leaning more into into psychological mystery. And so I think that this book is like a good uh, continuation of that in terms of the yeah. tone. 
And that's sort of what, that's your hot, that's your sort of sweet spot. You like to write about, it's clearly psychological. It's clearly sort of about the characters, but you like the twist of like a little bit of the the mystery aspect, trying to figure out who did what and, and sorting through the lies. Yeah. And this is just it. I mean, I watch a lot of true crime and Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes, you know, it's very dark. And so I, I want to always play with a little bit of the darkness, but also some humor. And also I want to look at some of the, I want to treat these things with some sensitivity as well, right? Because I mean, these are issues that affect real people, yeah. even though we're building a story. Right. So there's a lot more playfulness. And I think it's because I started writing it during the pandemic. And so I needed something to entertain me. I needed something that was, even though there was some darkness, there was also a lightness to it. Yeah. And so it's meant to be like darkly humorous. And I don't know if oh. people are going to get the humor, but we'll see. No, I think it's very humorous. And I think maybe that's what I was, when I was talking about sort of this, the pace of it and the the tone of it is very, it's, it is, it's a light, fun mysteries. The characters, will, you know, you, you kind of laugh at them with them, roll your eyes a bit. Like it's that kind of everybody, you know, it's, it's definitely got a, a fun tone to it, which I think isn't like, especially like it's, I mean, you didn't know this when you were writing it, but the world is still really messy. And so it's not also, it feels like a kind of a, I mean, I love dark books. I mean, clearly that's what I do. It's what I'm, you know, it's the people I interview, but it it was, it's night. Nice. And I don't, I don't know that many people can do really funny mysteries well, you know? I think it's, I think humor is, I, I consider myself a relatively funny person, but I think humor is impossible on the page for me. I'm like, and, and maybe it's because I'm dissecting children or something horrible. So there's, <laughs> it's really hard to make that funny, which I totally yeah. get. Um, but I laughed but, when you said it though. I know. Right. So I could do the podcast. I could make it, make it funny in a podcast, but when you have to read it, it's not as funny. Um, but I, but you do a great job of that. And it's also because, right. It, as you said, these are, there's murder, there's, you know, but there's not like, um, there's not too many really, really hard topics in the, in the book, which I think helps too, right? It makes it a little bit, especially since right now, I do feel like we're dealing with like a really tough time in in the world. So, um, okay. So your first, so the books came out, Little Threats, Blondes was, yeah, Blonde sounds like the one, and that's the one that you did the, the, the audio production yes. of. Yes. Which sounds amazing. A virus that makes women go crazy. That remind it sort of reminds me of like the um Deanna Rayborn book. Did you read Killers of a Certain Age? No, I obviously need to add this to my list. She would be a really, yeah, she'd be somebody you should get if you could ever meet her, she'd be fabulous for you because it sounds like you guys have a similar senses of humor, which I also adore. So let me know when the, the next one is out. It's so exciting. Um, okay, I'm I'm clearly having a babbling day. So let's talk a little bit more about like um where, you know, where do your people, how do you form your people? Are you somebody who sort of, do you watch other people? Do you do character sketches? Because you have, when you have a, char- a book of a lot of characters, you have to make sure to distinguish them. So that's sort of important, which you do well. Yeah, but I would say that that comes through multiple drafts. I mean, sometimes I don't know exactly who someone is until I've started writing them. So um, with some of these characters, they came out sort of fully formed. Like um, Zoe was easy for me because I felt like Zoe is a lot of women that I see, especially here in New York, um, that are trying to be Instagram perfect. Um, And they love their friends, but they're also competitive. And they talk to their Mm -hmm. friends, but sometimes they're just talking about themselves constantly and not really hearing what the other person says. And But yet I also love Zoe um, in, in spite of the fact that she does that. 
Um, Mia was harder because Mia is a little bit of a lost character. She doesn't know who she is. She's still figuring it out and she's being told all these different versions of herself. And so she is kind of sorting through them and being like, was I a terrible person? Like, mm-hmm. I don't like everything that you guys are telling me. Right. And so for me, I was kind of learning Mia a little bit more as I went. And with Agnes, um, Agnes is supposed to be the loyal, helpful friend, but she doesn't mm-hmm. always say what she thinks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She sort of holds herself back a lot. And as you said, she's the one that they pick on. And I mean, I think probably I'm the most like Agnes of the trio. Um, but at the same time, I'm a little bit of all of them. Like, I mm-hmm. even think that I'm a little bit of Ethan, one of the male characters, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know how that is. Like, you put yourself into all the characters. But I would say Agnes changed the most through the writing because also at the beginning, I didn't know what her sexuality was going to be. Uh-huh. And so when I first wrote her, I didn't write her as explicit. Like, she is a queer character, and I didn't write her as explicitly queer in the first draft. Mm-hmm. I had a little bit of it, but it wasn't as clear to the reader as it is now mm-hmm. now you you get that information pretty quickly yeah um, but it meant that I had to do multiple drafts on Agnes for sure yeah yeah but I mean and actually I you do what I I like the fact that you do um the chapters are you know different points of view I and mean, we get to see the different people in their you know in their own perspectives and I also love your titles you have like the 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 you know emotional wrecks <laughs> like there are some really like you're super clever things like that, which also sort of lend to the humor of it. Um, anyway, oh, but you do. I'm great glad jobs. you like that. Now, are you from Quebec then? No, no. Um, I grew up actually near Detroit. So my parents were American. My dad was from Detroit. My mom was from just outside Ann Arbor. And they went to Canada during Vietnam. My dad was in the army and he decided he would rather ship out to Canada than to ship out to Vietnam. So I was raised just across the border in Ontario near Windsor, Detroit area. And then for my career, I moved to Toronto. So I lived in Toronto for about a decade before coming to New York. So I always had both American and Canadian citizenship. Oh, lucky you. We all want Canadian citizenship now. (laughs) Um, I mean, but um, okay. I don't know why I asked that. For some reason, I guess I I heard two French words and it's like, maybe you're from Quebec. That's, well, because yeah. there was a French translation. I mean, Montreal that's, is be- beautiful. And yeah. that's, what the trans- that's what the translator lives is in Montreal. Yeah. I was going to say, I was wondering if you translated that yourself, which would be, yeah. No. Be, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear you don't have all the skills. <laughs> no, I only speak some... <laughs> un peu français. Okay. <laughs> I speak no. Je ne parle pas français. That's my, yeah. That's the only line I know how to say in French. Well, that is, um, that is really exciting. Now, do you sort of envision this as a trilogy? Are you sort of already thinking about what would come next? Or I know it's tricky because I know how Thomas and Mercer does their, you know, their contracts and whatnot. But I guess like if, you know, if we imagine that the author is in charge, which, you know, you and I both know how that really goes, but let's just imagine what, what do you think? Would you, you know, do you foresee I would more like books? To play with- I would like to play with these characters again, but it's interesting that you asked because this book started as a standalone. I didn't Mm -hmm. imagine that it was going to be a series when I first wrote it. And -hmm. so then when I did like my rewrites with my editor, I looked at ways that I could make the characters less abrasive because the thing is they all have to be a little abrasive so that you could think that any one of them might have committed a murder. Sure. But then you also have, they have to be likable. So that was like the hard thing with refining this book is we wanted it to be a standalone, but we also wanted you to be able to continue with these characters. That is, yeah. Go ahead. Right now I'm working on the second one and then I am hoping to do a third. Like I have a mm-hmm. scenario in mind if I if I can get there. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I I think that is the, that is how both of my first books at Thomas and Mercer went. They became series. I think Thomas and Mercer loves a series. So, can I ask who your editor is? Yeah. So my editor is um is Jessica Triple Wells. Yeah, and, I love her. She was my yeah. editor too. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, she's, she's wonderful. Great. She's good, and I think she's great at revision. She was she's taken a couple of my books and been like, you need to split them in half and lose that other half. And I was like, oh, she's so right. It's torture. So yeah, good. And Chris Bucci is your agent. That's right. Chris Bucci is my agent. He is um, my friend Tessa Wager's agent too. You guys are agent siblings. Oh, you know her. I know her online. I need to yeah. meet more people in real life. This is the thing. Yes. I know everybody online. Well, you have to come to Thriller Fest. Have you ever considered no. that? I oh, haven't just... because I didn't necessarily consider myself a thriller writer for the longest time. Oh, it, I yeah. feel like I'm I'm new to defining. I'm new to defining in many ways. <laughs> I know. And well, I don't know why we have to define so, you know, specifically, but I think any if there's a dead body, I think you can consider yourself a thriller writer. So you're definitely a thriller writer. And oh, they've um, all had dead bodies. Okay. Well then That's, see, I think that counts. Go. I mean, I know I can't, always, all... I can't always get the dead body in the first two pages though. See that? No, that's that's true. That I still think it counts, but I don't know because clearly I'm not the one doing the categorizing. But for sure for Thriller Fest, I mean, and it's right there in it's right in New York in uh, last weekend of May. So at least come over for the day. Lots like the Bart sisters, um, they always just show up for you know it's a, it's it's to have to come and stay in New York is super expensive. Um, I do it because it's really hard to commute from Montana for the day. So, um, but come, yeah, definitely come for, it's a really fun way to meet people. And I will introduce you to, um, I will introduce you to your agent sister for sure. Happily. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. Yeah. It's a, so now do we have a date for the second one yet? Oh, well, the date of my contract was fall of 24, but I'm not sure where we're at with that. I know that they're, they're making me work hard. I can tell you that. I know. <laughs> in terms of and deadlines. are they like, it's due January 1st or something? That's what I always felt like my deadlines were like brutally over the holidays. Yeah. Like February 2nd, I think I have okay. to get this done. Yeah. Okay. Well, you got, you got at least a little bit more time. Well, yeah. well, I, and I have to tell you, and you're gonna have to read the book to know what this means, but I was laughing out loud at the raccoons. And I'm just going to say, you don't know, and we're not telling you. So you have to read Sleeping With Friends to read about the raccoons. But if you don't laugh, then there's something wrong with your sense of humor. That comes officially from me because <laughs> that was really funny. Anyway, we won't say more than that, but I really enjoyed that. So um, I, this, I will say raccoons are very common in New York. You would not believe it. I, I, had, seen... I, had, I had a raccoon in my kitchen and it happened after I wrote that scene. And I was Wait. like, it's like, I, it's like, I called that, that you... raccoon to me spiritually. It came you into my kitchen. Manifested a raccoon in your kitchen. How did it get in through the kitchen window? Yeah. And we're on the third floor. So it tore the screen off and came in from the fire escape because it was a rainy night and it wanted someplace warm and dry. What did you do? Cause they're actually not that nice. No, we banged some pans and it ran out and then we shut the window and it clung to the window like this, like a little dog in the rain being like, let me in. Oh my God. That's, it went out the window though. It didn't try to get out another way. No, thankfully it, it climbed back out the window. Yeah, they are. That is sketchy. <laughs> I know my brother lives in, actually my brother lives in Brooklyn and he gets them on his, um, on the power lines behind his house and possums too. Oh, Wow. They can, I didn't realize that they could walk along the power lines like that. I would think they'd be too big. Well, they're clustered at behind his house is like a whole like grid of them. 
power yeah. lines, old phone lines, maybe. I mean, it's an old, you know, it's an older area, but, um, but yeah, it's, they're really, they're creepy. So anyway, that was, that was like one of my, one of the highlights for me was the raccoons. That was, I'm so thrilled. I feel like it's a bit of a litmus test, the raccoons. You're either going to keep reading or you're going to put the book down. (laughs) I mean, you're so far into it at the raccoons. I would be like, how could you quit and not know like (laughs) how that happened? I, yeah, there was no quitting after that for me. There was no quitting for me anywhere, but that for sure, the raccoons, I was like, Oh my God, it's so good. So uh, now I feel like I've just teased the audience ruthlessly. Um, Emily, tell us where to find you on social media. Oh, so on, I'm mostly on Instagram. I'm Emily Schultz writer on Instagram. Okay. I'm also on threads. I'm still reluctantly on Twitter and I'm also on Facebook. Okay. Well, it sounds like the best place to find you is Emily Schultz writer on Instagram. And this book actually is available right now um, If for um, Kindle First what do they call it now? Kindle first, Amazon's Kindle first, first reads. reads. Kindle oh, yeah, first Amazon's, reads. Amazon first reads. You're right. So if you are a Kindle Unlimited member, you get to read this fabulous book for free. But then you're gonna want it because look how fun! I love that they did this with the um, with the film reel. I think Thomas and Marshall does a beautiful job with their covers. So they really do. Yeah, I can't wait to see the next one, which is called. You just told me Brooklyn kills us. Brooklyn, Brooklyn kills me. Brooklyn kills me. <laughs> I love it. Okay, Emily, it was so fun to chat with you today. I'm I really loved sleeping with friends and I can't wait for Brooklyn kills me. Thank you so much. It was so fun. Everyone, this is clearly the end of this year. Emily is my last killer women interview for 2023. She gets to cap off an incredible year of like 60 podcasts. I'm an insane person. Um and this was a really really fun laugh out loud book to end the year with and 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 also you know to keep you guessing about who you think did it and um I'll leave that to you you can let me know if you thought it was uh easy or hard but if you think it's easy I'll be surprised anyway that's it for this year thank you so much for joining us killer women with Emily Schultz and we will see you next time bye